This episode of the Check Out This Record podcast is brought to you by GuitarExclusive.com. Visit now for buying guides, reviews, and more. GuitarExclusive.com. Welcome to the Rock, Rock, Rock and Roll podcast. Check out this record. My name is Mark. Joining me today is the crown prince of the early Middle Ages. It's Frankie D. Yes, sir, Mark. And you know, in my house, I often sit on my throne only to be thrown off by practically everybody else in the house and back to the position <laughs> where I belong. And now the dog has eclipsed me. So there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so your friends and your dog have probably noticed that your taste in music has become super pretentious. Yeah. Uh, and we're here to tell you, hell yeah, dude, uh, this is the podcast for you. Telling pe- people the music they suck is your right. So tell those friends where they can stick those widespread puke on your own pants albums and make sure they check out, check out this record. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever the finest of fine podcasts can be found. Heck, we're even on the tube of you. That's right. New episodes drip to the drop directly to your ears. And of course, we like to do all this uh, and tear up what you hold sacred for your listening pleasures. Uh huh. For the uninitiated, welcome. Here on Check Out This Record, Frank and I find records for each other to go through track by track we and do. tell you what we really think about them. But that's not all. Ooh. No, 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 no. We also have a wide array of musical discussions, like in our Spotlight series, where we'll dig into a band's catalog like a couple of grave robbers and see what's worth a damn and what's just fertilizer. That's right. Or in our Versus series, we're going to pit two albums against each other. Hopefully it's not Bon Jovi records. And they're going to duke it out for something we like to call total stereo domination. Now, if social media is your Jimmy Jam, be sure to check us out on the Instawam or Fartbook, where we have a group thingamajig. So uh, the roasting of musical sacred cows never has to end. Mark yourself safe from shitty music and give us a like or a follow or whatever you do when you're not complaining about those gosh darn libtards. There you go. (laughs) Don't forget (laughs) <laughs> I got you with that one, huh? You did. You did. <laughs> you go, you could put tards at the end of anything and I yeah, pretty much la- laugh at it. Yeah. Uh, don't forget to pop over to the world famous tube of the U and watch as we make these faces right now. Like right now, we're making these faces and we're putting this show together. And, uh, you know, you don't want to miss this. And be sure to fire off a click and on that old subscribe button if I could get those words out. Yep. Absolutely. Now, today on the show, I used yes. it right this time, Frank. Yeah, yeah. We're taking some peyote and tripping from mm-hmm. uh, thin white ropes, 80s drenched indie desert rock to the early 2000s alternative metal stoner desert rock of Queens of the Stone Ages 2005 <laughs> lullabies to paralyze. Mm. Frank, there's kind of a ton to unpack here, mm-hmm. but let's start uh, as we normally like to do and talk about where and when you first discovered Queens of the Stone Age and what kind of impact they had on you. Yeah. So initially I wanted to say was Ozfest 99. Then I looked at the lineup recently and they weren't on there. So I'm guessing mm-hmm. it was 2000. And uh, I'm now recalling that I was at both of them. So it was I'm assuming then it was 2000 uh, or whichever one it was. I remember them sticking out as they were totally 
uh, not like the harder and heavier bands that were there at the time. Uh, that time, Marcus, as we all recall, was flooded with new metal and rap rock bands. Yep. So uh, we know that Queens of the Stone Age aren't that style. Uh, fast forward to when we got our first band together, Mark, and I remember us having conversations about them. And in particular, of course, the songs for the Deaf record. So uh, definitely, I realized at the time, especially during that, during the OzFest lineup and the OzFest uh, shows, uh, they were definitely a little bit different. Yeah, for me, it was it was definitely songs of the deaf. Uh, the album and its singles were kind of everywhere in everywhere. 2001, 2002, yep. and you, you just really couldn't escape it. And, and for good reason. It was a badass album. Mm-hmm. Quirky for sure with all the radio cuts in it. But that's part of what the band wanted the album to be like driving from L.A. to the Joshua Tree or yeah. to Joshua Tree. I guess it's not the Joshua Tree. Right. Anyways, uh, Josh Homie. Uh, am I saying that right? I never know if I'm saying his name right. Home, home, maybe the E is silent. Home, home, home has said home. they were pretty fucked up while making it. So, oh, I'm that sure made for uh, impact for sure, too. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's a good place to pick up talking about Lullabies to Paralyze. Everyone knows that Dave Grohl played the drums on yes. Songs for the Deaf, and I'm sure that had more to do with albums, the album success beyond the actual playing of it but that's that's another conversation i don't need to get into it uh but when queens toured songs for the deaf to europe uh dave went back to the foo fighters and a guy named joey castillo came in castillo had some serious street credit frank he played uh on more queens of the stone age albums uh than any uh anyone else and has been the band's longest consecutive drummer although John Theodore, uh, who took over the the drum throne after Castillo, is only a year or so away from tying that record. Uh, Anyways, Mm. uh, Castillo has a ton of like really rad credits to his names, pounding the skins for bands like the Circle Jerks, the Bronx, uh, Zach Sabbath. Currently, he's also done it for Dancing, Wasted Youth, Eagles of Death Metal, and just a whole bunch of other bands. Josh Hum, hey, Mahoma Hum, takes on a ton of roles with this album. Everything from lead vocals, guitar, bass, pianos, drum, percussion, and hand claps, Frank. Uh, however, the core of the band is still a trio, Frank. Uh, so remember the creepy bald guy um, from the music videos for Songs for the Deaf? I sure do. Yeah, you can't forget him. He looks kind of like Satan. Anyways, um, okay, <laughs> yeah. so that dude's name is Nick. Oliveri, and I probably did a better job of pronouncing that. Uh, and at the end of Songs for the Deft, where he was fired from the band, Boom. at first for the, quote, aggressive treatment of the fans, allegedly, and later over rumors that he had been abusive to a girlfriend at some point in history, again, allegedly. Uh, but the two have since reconciled. Uh, he had a vocal appearance on the Queen's sixth album, uh, like Clockwork. So with all of that, uh, out of the way, they still needed a third uh, and came uh, in the form of a dude named Van Lewin, um, mm. who had a, he, he was not a part of Weezer, uh, who <laughs> had, a, uh, had a ton of parts to play, too. Excuse me. Uh, literally, he played guitar, bass, lap steel, piano, keyboards, hand claps, and even did backing vocals. You still with me, Frank? Oh, I am my friend like macaroni on a Sunday dinner. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, We're almost through uh, to get into the album. There's a ton of guest appearances on the album. Most notably is uh, uh, this dude's name. I'm totally going to screw up. Elaine Johans. 
Sounds good Sorry, to me. Uh, who played guitar on tracks five through seven and 11, bass on track three, four, and nine, flute and marxophone on track nine, backing vocals on 12, and the phone on track 14. Um, I'll give the rest of the appearance shout outs as they pop up on the album. Frank, oh my God. No. Are you ready? I just want to say one thing. Yes. Most excellent. Track one, this lullaby, uh, Mark Langan. 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 Thank you. I don't know. I like to overpronounce things. Uh, from the <laughs> Screaming Trees sings us this haunting lullaby. It's a simple, uh, with just an acoustic guitar and Mark's haunting voice, setting the tone uh, for the album for another thematic album cheapers peepers there's so much to read that my brain's just like terrified frank <laughs> how are you feeling about the intro oh man well let me tell you it, it's a haunting lullaby for sure and mm-hmm. even more ominous uh, given that uh, langan passed away a few months ago yeah so given uh the record has lullabies in the name i'm cool with it and to me it's setting us up for really the record to come so yeah absolutely track to medication mark lagan langan <laughs> langan i'm terrible with names folks uh contributing lyrics here and we get the classic fuzz drenched sound we expect from queens of the stone age frank there is a haunting ooey, ooey, uh stretching through the song <laughs> that makes me feel like they're they're talking about more than just how medication can help us what do you think mm-hmm. Yeah, the haunt aspect is there through all of this fuzz that we're hearing, the presence of the ghost, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was getting is really strong here. And I like how it's also under two minutes. Uh, why need to stretch this out any longer than it needs to be? Yeah. Uh, track three, everybody knows that you're insane, mm. Mark. Uh, love the tempo shift here coming out of that faster number in medication. Uh, that guitar really cries like a ghost in the desert here, huh? The tempo picks up for yeah. the, the choruses, which is the which is the title of the song, and it works. Um, oh, excuse me. The chorus is the uh, is the title of the song, which which what makes it work don't worry about my brain uh i really like the tempo switch between the parts uh really keeps your ears uh on trying to figure out what they're what they'll do next frank does everybody know i'm insane insanely obsessed and in love with good music my friend that's what they know that's what they know um the guitar work screams of what home tries to do here which is a uh, subtractive measure uh, of notes. He's not naturally fluid and fast on the fretboard, but he finds a way to deliver us these little dark parts and songs. Uh, I love the tempo change as well. And it's definitely without a doubt, very, very uh, unexpected. Very nice. Well, this is uh, what people say when they see Frank and I in bed track four tangled up in plaid. Oh, that's the truth. Cause I got those plaid sheets. Mm. Um, Langan contributing lyrics here. Again, we get a very staccato Rhythm paired with more of these haunting guitar parts. Oh, I almost missed it. Joe Barisi mm. featured on the triangle here. Uh, he's a recording engineer that's worked with a ton of cool acts, but let's not get caught up in that again because it literally his his uh, biography goes on forever. Mm-hmm. Um, the choruses come back to the heavy fuzz sound, which works for the band as they solo over it to close out the song. Frank, 
I didn't hear any triangle, but what were your thoughts on the song? <laughs> yeah, this weird, awkward intro uh, into that signature fuzz. Uh, you know, the, the the rocking parts to me almost border some grunge hints, which is which is really cool. Uh, the song through grew on me. I'm sorry, grew on me after a while, and I really started digging it. All right, all right. Track five, "Burn the Witch." Oh. Uh, big hit of the, the Black Keys vibe here. 2004, still very early in the career. Uh, so it's hard to say if it's a direct influence here or if it's just this super fuzzy bass uh, and symbolist groove opening up the track that just kind of make you think back to the Black Keys. Might just be me. Um, backing vocals here are brought to us by Mark Langan, uh, Chris Goss from Master of Reality, uh, a stoner rock band. Uh, he's considered a key figure in, in, in that particular movement. And Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top, uh, who also plays guitar on the track. But that's not all, Frank. Also credited is none other than Jack Black. Yeah, that Jack Black, Tenacious D, School of Rock, Nacho Libre. You know him. You love him. Uh, he's on Claps and Foot Stomps, Frank. Mm. Claps and Foot Stomps. Frank, there's about a billion people on this track. Does it work? Yeah, without knowing that all these people were on there off the bat, uh, one person who I thought of right away was Gibbons because of that distinctive guitar playing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just may need a whole episode on him because he's so incredible. Uh, listen, th Done. this song is a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is a clown car of sorts with lots of cool contributions. Holmes' high vocals on here are really impressive as well. And I never really think of him as a, a natural singer, but I tell you what, he's showing it here. Very nice. Track six. In My Head, mm. uh, co-written by Josh Freeze, who is uh, a drummer that's played in the Vandals, Devo, Guns N' Roses, The Perfect Circle, Nine Inch Nails, Weezer, and he's toured with a ton of other bands, too. Yeah, uh, I really dig the vibe of this track. Lyrically, it feels like uh, the wild stuff you expect from Queens of the Stone Age, but it's got a little bit more pep with the piano pumping right along with that hi-hat. Right. Frank, it's a little poppier than what we've heard so far. How does this pivot in style affect the album to you at this point? Yeah, you know, Freeze has been around for, uh, or for Reese has been around for such a long time. Oh, is that how you say that? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> His resume is really, really impressive. For the structure of this record, I say it's a safe spot to place a poppier track and single. Uh, the riffs in the back of this still give it a hint of being haunting. I wouldn't say it's as memorable for me as the other tracks, but it's certainly not a bad track. I agree with that. I agree with that entirely. Track seven, Little Sister. Little Sister. Uh, not credited on the album because it's uh, live on Saturday Night Live, but Will Ferrell, uh, who was hosting, reprised his character uh, as Blue Oyster Colts uh, cowbellist Jean Frinkle, mm. uh, playing the woodblock uh, on, a, on a cowbell. Um, cool track. Uh, they give us uh, a woodblock over the verse uh, and the normal heavier chorus with some cool changes and solos. Frank, uh, talk to me about Little Sister. Yeah, well, she's actually my older sister and one in a long line of women in my life that I take orders from on a daily basis. But today's uh -huh. actually her birthday. So happy hey! birthday to my older, younger sister. Who's Much older? older. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's a cool track. I love the block on the verses and how mm -hmm. it mixes with Holmes' voice. It's like ice hitting that glass before the whiskey gets poured on, my friend. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Track eight, I never came. 
Oops. <laughs> the band accomplished, uh, accompanied here, excuse me, by the Main Street Horns with tuba and baritone. Uh, Castillo using the rim of the drum instead of the hi-hat or ride to keep the tempo up while keeping the vibe super chill. Yeah. We get, uh, we, excuse me, we don't get too heavy over the choruses here, but I think that's because Home is singing in that falsetto here. He's really going for it. Frank, what the hell is this song about anyways? Yo, it could actually be my favorite track on the record, believe it or not. Oh. Uh, as far as the song's contents, I'm thinking it's some sort of emotional denial here with the inability to commit to a re- the relationship at hand. Uh, I think it's a cool song with the throwback sound that doesn't really smell of 2005. Yeah. Uh, the guitar on the a- outro really adds some nice flavor to this as well. Track nine, mm-hmm. someone's in the wolf question mark. What? Uh, Chris Gross uh, returns with backing vocals. Jesse Hughes of Eagles of Death Metal on the flute because why not the main street horns again on tubas and baritone this one's uh seven minutes long uh you can feel they're maybe channeling a bit of of primus here Mm. uh with this very elastic sounding bass and sharp guitar part we get a pretty long slowly fading bridge to a quickly building outro that goes just kind of wildly back to the chorus i was trying to figure out how to phrase that in my brain uh it feels like maybe it was meant to be for the end of the album to me frank did, did you get that feeling i was a little lost with this one yeah i, I can see it's totally ending the album uh the aggressive beginning is cool and the riff after the first verse again displays home subtractive moves on the scales which really gives it a nice and unique sometimes unwieldy sound uh yes it's seven minutes to me it's a quick seven minutes and and i like this track and I may have closed the album with it if it was up to me. Sure, sure. Track 10, The Blood is Love. Blood is Another love. lengthy one at uh, six and a half minute. Dave Catching of the stoner band Earthling on the opening guitar specifically. Uh, I'm assuming that's the kind of circusy sounding guitar they use for the intro. Uh, once past that intro, we get uh, some pretty heavy fuzz going and they're in the groove just long enough to let you let it start slowing itself down with a a few well-placed resets to keep the song going uh maybe a few more than than i think are necessarily uh, necessary but they clearly like this choice and and they're really kind of owning it here frank what did you think of uh the blood is love you know the intro kept me interested here uh and where was going on this track uh which wasn't you know, what I was expecting with that opening riff, uh, mm-hmm. I would have spaced out this track um, and the track we just heard, even if it was the distance of one track, as my mind was still on what happened previously in the last track. So where Wolf didn't drag on for me, uh, this one did quite slightly. Track 11, Skin on Skin. Uh, no surprise here, Frank. Main Street Horns are back again. And you guessed it on tuba and baritone we're getting another fuzzy bass driven track like uh burn the witch a la proto black keys with another shot at that false set of vocals here again not bad uh to me anyways uh this one feels like a bit of a freak out jam with the the shrieking over the guitar solo and all that reverb i'm really kind of digging it frank what says thou yeah this 
to me kind of has a leftover feel to it. Maybe it's because of the reoccurrence of what we heard already. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, this song with its uh, sexual vibe and title kind of fits something that would be on the band's first record based on the cover alone. Uh, also, I, you know, I think the best thing about this song, in my opinion, was or, and is the guitar work. So as far as the guitar work goes, definitely like it there. Now, speaking of sexual innuendos, track 12, Broken Box, a oh. uh, big old bouncing piano part, very fuzzy, but still in that early aughts garage rock revival feel again. Uh, I'm digging the album, Frank, but it's it's definitely starting to blur and I'm losing mm. uh, kind of a sense of time and space since we hit some of those longer tracks. You, you hanging in there with me? Yeah, man. Again, I think it's placement. You know, I think this needed to be up the ladder because it's not like a bad track at all. Mm -hmm. The problem is, again, there's two super long tracks back to back that really make it feel like what else is there at this point? Yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, (laughs) Track 13, uh, you got a killer scene there, man. Man. I kind of... uh love this track <laughs> name frank uh here we go brody dale of the distillers and dale. uh shirley manson of garbage as well as mark langan and chris cross back on uh again on on backing vocals excuse me here and uh i can't make out literally any of them i could i couldn't if you i know if you had if it weren't there i wouldn't have believed i wouldn't have just guessed it on my own frank yep. the the backside of the album is is just thick with fuzzy bass lead uh which is cool but again it, it's starting to blur together for me uh, i'm digging the track it's sexy and slower than the others but it could easily have been uh, a tempo change from another song for all i know at this point and, and I, I don't think i would have noticed how's the scene where you are Oh, well, it's filled with crap cover bands, my man. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I'm assuming Home and Brody got, since they got married in 2005, this is around the time that they were first meeting. Or so whatever. she would have been 11? No. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Again, not a bad track. I like getting lost in the guitar work, um, but I am getting the same vibe as you with the things blurring together. Yeah, track 14, long, slow, goodbye. 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 Opening with uh, Elaine Johnson's long-awaited telephone part, uh, the acoustic guitar in the back with uh, Holmes uh, doing a little deeper than falsetto over it, but still a little higher than his normal range mm-hmm. to me. Uh, the drums uh, and electric and a little piano quickly follow the lap steel finally making its appearance over the the first chorus lyrically the song title tells you everything you need to know uh, about what's to come and the the band jams uh as you would expect i i don't see a credit for main street horns on the the hidden track outro um but i'm just going to assume it's them since why not and i mean they've credited everybody i mean it's the only time i can hear any of those instruments but right uh frank uh, what'd you think of the closer yeah a song titles titled slow goodbye should be the closer so i think it's fitting uh the beginning i feel home is trying even for like a blues number here and then we get a chorus uh, i think that came out accidentally but it worked uh overall i don't mind the song and i get why this one was the closer 
Very nice. Very nice. That what, what I got to tell you, one weird trip through the desert, man, uh, makes you wonder if they just took the cash they made on Songs of the Deaf and, and just partied as hard as they could <laughs> with as many friends as they could uh, could get during the recording sessions. And this is the, the subsequent jams they recorded yeah. uh, before we get into our final thoughts, Frank. I wanted to give you a few excerpts from interviews Josh Holmes did uh, and see if it affects the way you see the album at sure, all. Sure. Um, the first one I had a hard time finding a source uh, for, but according to Wikipedia, so, you know, we know it's made up. Holmes <laughs> stated that the band's lowest point was during the Lullabies era, uh, but that the record, quote, took a lead jacket off the band following the firing of Oliveri in 2014. Um, not sure if that's going to have any effect on you, but just thinking about the two albums sure. differently, if it affects you. Uh, and April 13th, 2007, in an interview with Pitchfork, he said, and I quote, uh, and at a time I was like, fuck, no one even listens to this. Uh, it's too much about other stuff. And it would have been easy to make Songs of the Deaf 2, which basically all I heard in my head. But I can't do that. You got to shake all that shit away. Uh, end quote. Frank, I don't know if those will sway you at all, uh, but it's time. Should our listeners check out this record? Yes, they should. Oh. And in fact, I think any record that Queens put out, um, because I, I, I think they at least deserve uh, attention. You know, they're authentic and they generally, I think, care about writing and composing high quality songs that are riff based. And thus they have been, you know, quite one of the longest and consistent rock acts. Um, so I think songs for the death and rated R are better records, but that doesn't take away from the fun and the quality craftsmanship that this record presents. Lots of haunting tunes covered in fuzzy guitar riffs and almost solos at times that don't seem to fit, but they end up fitting. Uh, with all these guests on the record, it's almost like a guest's record with, uh, you know, it's like a Queens of the Stone Age and Friends album. Um Tracks like Tangled, Everyone Knows, A Little Sister and I Never Came are some of my favorites. The latter part of the album does drag out, and I feel like that should have ended on Wolf. Uh, but it is what it is. I do enjoy the record. I would pick it up on vinyl, and it gets a 7 out of 10 for me. What about you? I didn't totally love this record the way I still do with Songs for the Deaf. But that might be a bit of the monster known as nostalgia clouding my judgment. Regardless, I thought it was fun as hell. It, it's it's got uh, really tasty jams, and if you can sink into your couch and let lullabies paralyze you, you're in for a good time. There are a few tracks here that might get more listens from me on a playlist: "Burn the Witch," "Little Sister," "Skin on Skin," uh, and you've got a killer scene there. Man, being the ones in particular. Man, some uh, someone's in the wolf not only has one of the grossest titles on the album, but its length is, is weird. Uh, the outro really felt a bit out of place for, for me and kind of tricked me on casual listens to thinking the album was over. Um, and it really did make the following tracks kind of clumsy to get through because it, it really felt like a complete thing and that right. kind of just continued on. Yeah. yeah that said, you. um, I, I still think this album's pretty damn cool. I'd give it a seven out of ten. I recommend that you check out this record, man. Look at uh, that, Frank, man. 
<laughs> what uh, what is in store for us next week? Well, Mark, I was thinking about this. You you like crocodiles, right? Uh, just Dundee. <laughs> and you like bunnies, right? Just bugs. <laughs> All right, Mark. So we're going to go back to the year 1980. Okay. All right. It was a great year. I was born. Mm-hmm. I was born in 80. Fantastic stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to look at the album, the debut album, uh-huh. entitled Crocodiles oh. by Echo and the Bunnymen. Oh, this is um, one of those bands yep, or do. that people always say, like, how do you guys not know Echo and the Bunnymen? Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like. I don't know, man. I've been doing other stuff. <laughs> you know, the, yes, <laughs> they're in that post-punk new wave, yeah. first wave category. Uh, this is the first album. This is where it starts. I uh, wanted to give some attention to this record. And what better way to do it than on one of our episodes, my friend? Yeah, uh, totally. I am uh, can't wait. Cool, I'm looking man. forward to it. We'll check yeah. it out. Awesome. Awesome. It's going to be a good time. Hey, listen, everyone, thank you for joining, spending time with us. Remember, like, subscribe, rate, review, all that jazz. And, of course, everybody, be safe out there. Yeah, man, you made it to the end of another episode. What a mensch. Come back next week for Echo and the Bunnymen. We're listening to Crocodile. Now, say it with me if you're feeling brave. Oh, my, my. Oh, hell yes. Stay classy, San Diego. Oh, (laughs) bye-bye. He will read anything you put on a teleprompter. And you did. <laughs> I did. I mean, it wasn't a bad one. I was no, like, it wasn't. I was going to say,